The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. We're here with a special guest whose authenticity, boldness, relatability, and incredible sense of humor has led her to become one of the most talked about reality TV show stars out there. Her name is Hannah Burner. You might know her from Bravo's hit series, Summer House, which she starred in for three seasons until she just recently decided not to return, which hopefully we'll cover in this episode. She has two successful podcasts, not one, but two. I don't know how you do it because one's a real big pain in the ass. <laughs> Burning in Hell and The Giggly Squad with Paige DeSorbo, who actually played some beer pong against in uh, in quarantine. I remember. She, remember that? She <laughs> travels around the country making people laugh for a living as a stand-up comedian. What you might not know is that Hannah was a star. Oh, I read this and I was all impressed. I saw your college career, a star tennis player in college, and you almost considered going pro. Excited to get into kind of all this shit that oh you've God. been through from a pro I've lived career. a lot of lives. You've lived a lot of lives from a stand-up <laughs> comedian to a reality TV star, a pro tennis player. Holy shit, Hannah, you've done a lot. <laughs> Are you calling me old? No, no, no I'm, I'm saying, no, I'm saying uh, established. I would say established. That's what I would say. But thank you so much for coming. I'm so happy to be here. And I do have to say, going back to your roots, I was just in Buffalo at Helium Buffalo doing stand-up comedy. Love that. And that I low key loved it. I was eating pizza logs. Yes. I was, you apparently it's not Buffalo wings. They're just wings. Yeah. You don't call them Buffalo wings. So they made fun of me because of that. And then apparently <laughs> Niagara Falls is like for tourists and people don't actually go. So I just want to say your hometown is great. And, oh. um, I love that. There were like little waterfalls. I'm like, is that Niagara Falls? They're like, that's a puddle. And I'm like, sorry, I'm from the city. (laughs) Where did did you go anywhere fun to eat or out or anything like that? Or you in? I went to Jenny's ice cream. Jenny's ice cream. That's big, right on Main Street. We love to hear that. Okay. And it was mostly a lot of Jenny's ice cream because I was only there for like two or three days. But Pizza Logs was interesting because as an Italian, I'm like, you're putting an egg roll around it. But then I ate it and I was like, this is fabulous. This is going right through me after I perform my comedy (laughs) set. (laughs) Hopefully not live on stage though, right? (laughs) That's a different show. That's a different show. (laughs) That's not like OnlyFans or something. Uh, (laughs) It's my OnlyFans. We'll talk about- Just my IBS. Yeah, we'll talk about the money behind that too. Um, So so that is so funny. Did the crowd in Buffalo at least, uh, did they drink pretty good? Because that's pretty much all we're known for. The crowd was amazing. And Buffalo has this special thing where if you say like the word bills, yeah, yeah they yeah, just yeah. lose their mind. So if the energy was down, <laughs> I'd just be like, go bills. And they'd go fucking berserk. Yeah, we, have, and, uh, uh, we only have so many great. things to live for. And uh, the bills and pizza logs are pretty much and wings. You got it covered. Yeah, um, and randomly, when I went to University of Wisconsin, I played tennis there. Yeah, I met a lot of hockey guys and a bunch were from Buffalo because it's like oh, part I lo- of the, I love the culture. That. Do, as you, you know. do you remember any of them off the top of your mind or no? Brett Bennett. Oh, yeah. The Bennett brothers. <laughs> Number eight. Yeah. Uh, they're 88. So those guys are out of their goddamn mind. 
they're fucking and he came to my comedy show and oh i looked him God. and i was like i know you i used to play and, against that guy and i was literally terrified him and his brother was he the goalie or was he the defense yeah he was a goalie and goalies are always a little like yeah. weirder than the average that's guy true the team. goalies aren't playing with a full deck of <laughs> they cards do splits yeah, yeah. They, they do splits and he was i remember him like when we were like 12 he was like the goalie that acted like he was like a fucking quarterback like screaming at everyone <laughs> like calling plays like a goalie we're like what is this guy doing but anyway he terrified me as a hell of a player oh i'm glad we went back to childhood though <laughs> hannah because that's where i want to start with you because i oh, i did great. some research on you you go oh great and i saw in an <laughs> interview and this is this is all going to come together because we're going to start from the bottom and go to the top that you spent your summers in Shutter Island, Shelter Island. I'm sorry. And I think about Buffalo. We're talking about Buffalo. I spent my summers, I remember, it was a little area called like Clearfield, New York. And they had this like little thing that opened and there's like little crafts in there. And we were doing like fucking boondoggle the whole time. So Shelter <laughs> Island, the reason I, I asked that is I don't want to make assumptions, but it sounds like you had a pretty good, pretty good life growing up. And I'm curious as far as like support monetization, like did, did mm -hmm. you have a lot of parent support going into college and financially, did they help you out as you went on to your, your wild career path? Great question. I had a grandpa who made a good real estate move. He huh. was from born in the Bronx, ended up in Brooklyn in the seventies when it was rough, it okay. was rough. The city was not doing well. Yeah. And he decided to buy a brownstone wow. in Park Slope, Brooklyn for like 25 grand. Oh and he did not God. have a lot of money. He did not have a lot of money, but he invested it. Now we look back, we're like, grandpa, why didn't you buy a fucking building in Tribeca? <laughs> but um, <laughs> those were going for like 40 grand. Yeah. But, um, but he invested in this and he, his whole thing was, he was a, a gym teacher. He wanted to stay with the kids. He was like one of those guys that are in the yeah. movies were like pulling kids out of jail and getting kids to college. He's incredible. And when he eventually retired and moved to shelter Island yeah. and my family had just bought a condo in the Bronx, I had just been born and the real estate market went to shit Okay. in about like late, in 1992, okay, I'd say. Okay. And they had no money. And sorry, that's my cat in the background. And they decided to move into my grandpa's house that he didn't sell. And we had tenants and we basically would live in that house wow. and take care of the tenants. And that was kind of the agreement. And Park Slope became an incredible neighborhood to grow up in. And then my parents were able to invest in a house that was foreclosed in Shelter Island. Uh -huh. And then growing up, I started to play tennis, which I discovered on Shelter Island, sure. tennis and golf, which is such a country club sport yeah, yeah. around money. And it's so expensive. My dad's like, why'd you have to pick the most expensive sport? <laughs> but we, we definitely, my parents created a life for me. Yeah. My mom was a, a school teacher. She became a principal. My dad was in sales, but I didn't come from money. Gotcha. But we were able to navigate like the best possible life for ourselves being like a middle-class family. I'm inherently a cheap person. Like Ooh, I don't okay. spend I like money that. on myself. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's a self-love thing, but like I'm not <laughs> spending, I don't spend money on myself. And I well, love now your giggle squad page. I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but she's rocking. Like, I feel like she's got like $15,000 outfits. So you guys got to be We're different. opposites. We're okay. Opposites. Gotcha. I was I mean, Paige loves a good deal, but yeah, yeah. I'm not spending money on clothes. I spend money on food and Ubers to get to comedy right. clubs. 
Um, but yeah, I, so, so I love the, the pizza I, it was more fun for me to tell my parents, you don't have to pay for college than for me to brag that I'm in an Ivy league school, if that makes sense. Okay. No, that does make sense. So before summer house, you worked with a media and entertainment company, the company most of us know of Betches media. And they mm-hmm. said that you're a creative video producer and that you appeared in Betches up. So yes. I'm curious. So Betches again, so I ran into one time I got to meet, uh, her name is Kay York City, uh, or her yes. Instagram. And then I got to meet this other girl from uh, Betches. I believe she started it. They were very nice. Like, I really liked them. I remember mm-hmm. that they asked me to come on one of their shows, but ABC actually wouldn't approve it for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then I've mm-hmm. also gotten DMs. Like, I don't know if it's true or not, but I do recall I've gotten DMs like where I think they've been like, they were talking a little smack about Caitlin or I or whatever, but I didn't really look into it or whatever. So yeah. anyway, when I met them, they were nice. What was it like working for Betches? Could you make good money there? Was that a good career stop for you? Great question. So right after college, my first job was cold calling sales. That's brutal. Because my dad is a salesman. He's like, you got to do cold calling <laughs> once in your life to be tough. And <laughs> to be tough. I'm not going to lie. I hated it, but I was like very good at it. Uh-huh. Like I would, I was like, you know, I'd say something kind of relatable, funny, like it was almost practicing stand up, like the people ah. didn't want to be on the phone with you, but you kind of had to make it like decently pleasant, get their trust. I was selling s- small business marketing. I ended up being the top salesperson at the company, wow. making six figures right out of college. So how old are you at this point? I was 22, 23. So 22, 23, you're making six figures. What was the company? Living with my parents. Wow. Stacking it was it called up. local. It was called local Vox. And I realized I had just gone out of tennis because I realized like tennis wasn't ultimately making me happy anymore. Yeah. And I realized, oh, you just found the same thing in sales. Like sure. where you're just ha- each month, you're just looking for the quota. You just want the win. You're, you're just becoming this like competitive psycho and you're not doing what really brings you joy. Yeah. And you just want to show your dad that you can win at something. <laughs> so I proved to everyone I could do corporate America and I quit as when I was like at the top of the leaderboard for at least I'd say a year before real quick, I am sorry to interrupt, but before we go to the next stage, I want to ask anyone that, cause there are probably people listening that are in sales or there's probably someone listening that like wants to cold call, you know, maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's like a boyfriend or girlfriend. They want to ask out, like give, give us one tip from your cold calling experience that maybe one person could take into like their life as they just heard you talk about the fact you killed it. This is my sales advice Let's hear it. to at any level of sales is you have to ask them questions. So they end up just telling you what they need. If you come in and you're like, you, you, you can need this or you might need this. I just go, what do you want? They tell me what they want. And then I tell them how I'm going to give it to them. I like it. Great. And great, you great have tip. to go in with questions because you can't read their mind of what they actually want. Um, and also what's interesting, I had a base. I remember now I had a base salary of like 35 to 40 K. Wow. So you like tripled that. At, but they, th- that's how sales jobs are great at any time of your life. Cause you can make that money by just like how hard you work and you don't have to like study or really learn anything new. You just right. have to have a decent personality from there. I left to do a marketing job and I hated that job. I was getting paid like 50 K and I wasn't being cr- feeling creative and I ended up quitting and deciding I want to do video. Because at University of Wisconsin, my last semester, I did some sports journalism. Like I I hit up the 
sports um, communications. And I did like, if you Google Hannah Burner, Wisconsin, you'll see like yeah. highlight reels of like, <laughs> the, I did like soccer. I did basketball. Frank Kaminsky, I don't know if anyone knows he was my boy. I would like interview him. That's oh my awesome. gosh. I actually have here my notes on air reporter and post-production intern for the athletic departments yes. at university. So, okay. <laughs> I'm literally miserable in my marketing job being like, there has to be more to life than this. And I remember, I didn't want to go to a small town to become a, a on TV journalist. Everyone's like, yeah. Oh, you got to go to a small town. I'm like, I want to go back to New York where I live. Right. But I got back to New York, hate the jobs. And I'm like, I want to do video. So my friend, this is part of like manifesting, which I really believe is when you want to do something, people are like, oh, keep your secrets on the down low, work hard, don't tell anyone. No, <laughs> tell people what you want to do, like make it a reality. And I was telling everyone, I want to get into video. And this guy hits me up and he says, hey, Betches is looking for a video producer of five years experience. Okay. And I was like, okay, I don't have five years experience, but they were submitting funny videos. So I submitted a funny video. They picked mine. I walked in. I said, I don't have experience, but I have these 50 funny video ideas that I'm interested in. And they sure. go, okay, we're going to pay you $300 a week freelance. Wow. What do you think now, of that? I was 25, 26 at the time. Most of my friends were already like kind of getting rolling in their career. And I'm like, this is bad. But deep down, I was like, no, 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 this is good. Because I was finally in the right lane, you know? Like, I was like a horse that found the right race. And at first, I didn't do that well. Like, we didn't know what the video department was going to be. I was the seventh hire. How many hours are you working for 300 bucks a week? Oh, I was working all weekend because this is editing. So I'd send them a video and they'd be like, "Mm, make it funnier. And then I'd do more. And they'd be like, make it funnier. And I'd be... So finally they were like, can you do like a meme video? Just a meme video. Yeah. Where you act it out. And I was like, okay, I got someone on like a flag football team who does wedding, wedding videography. Like we didn't even have a videographer and I yeah. had a video it and it went viral. It's a very short video. It what, hit like, what was it? Like, what's the thing? It's called, it was called when Bay FaceTimes you. Remember when Bay was a thing? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it was basically me with headphones answering and being like, hey, babe, I need to find my headphones. One sec. And then I do all my makeup. I get a ring light. And then I answer and I go, hey, what's up? So it's really simple. Very Joke relatable. It's like immediate, very relatable, so shareable. And they go, this is great. This is great. Can you do this three times a week? And I'm just like, yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing. I'm producing. I'm editing. We got a videographer on. And I fell in love with this job. They offered me... Finally, they were like, we want to have you full time. They offered me 38 grand. It's a step up from 300 bucks a week though. It is a step up, yeah. but you know, I, I went to college. I've been working for a while and it's one of those moments where it's like, I feel like cool brands can get away with that sometimes, especially if your parents can support you. But I wasn't at that stage. I had left my parents' house. I'd rent to pay. I think I got it up to around 45 so I was 26, making 45 grand and loving my job. That's loving huge it. though. You know what I mean? That's huge. I found something because Betches has had like the podcast and stuff, but sure. I was doing like purely comedy. I call it Betches Bootcamp. I was writing tweets, like 80 memes a week. Like I was, I was finding my voice in terms of comedy. Gotcha. I started to meet other comedians and that's when I met some real... Sorry, reality TV people. 
Gotcha. Well, now you had the podcast. I mean, and there's so much to that whole idea of not chasing the money, actually chasing the lane. And once you're in the lane, network and, and your exposure will accelerate you at a level you never imagined you could have accelerated. There's so much Jason, to Jason, you that. fucking nailed it. Because I right? would have been a burnt out salesperson by this time. I would have right. been one of those people that's at the bottom of the board. What's going on with her? Oh, back then she used to be great, but she hates this job. Right, exactly. And, and the, those burnt out salespeople, I worked at Data, I'm not going to say the name of the company, Data yeah. Services Company. And those guys exist. Like they would show, they're like at ages they shouldn't be doing this, like showing up to, to work just like stoned because they're just shot. Like they've just been grinding yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. So then when you get in this lane and like you find it, then you have, I, I believe it's when Burning Hell podcast came out or was that after the show? So great question. I'm obsessed with multiple sources of revenue. Okay. I'm Love obsessed that. with it. I'm all about it. And I finally got batches, which was giving me a salary. Then I basically made friends with some of the summer house people. And I found out that I got a call from a producer that they are casting. And I naturally know some of the people on the show. And they were like, this summer we're filming. And I said, great. So we filmed the summer and then it was going to air in March. So I decided I want to launch Burning in Hell before it airs. So I had already filmed but then I launched Burning in Hell in November. So I had a couple months before Summer House aired because I want I wanted people to, if they liked me, have an outlet to get like all of me. And I also had this mental health. Like I want to talk to people that you looked up to. Sure. That you thought were the, like, I thought like, okay, LeBron James must be the happiest person in the world. He's the richest. He's the most successful. Yeah. And then I real I was meeting all these successful people when I was working for Betches, movie stars, reality TV stars, musicians. And I was like, oh, they all have their own demons. And I want to talk to them about it. <laughs> yeah. I so like that was that. also another like true passion of mine. Sure. So when the show aired, my awareness grew and I also had something to plug when we were working during the week, when they were showing like, oh, what's Hannah doing during the week in Summer House? I Got was working it. on my podcast. So I knew Summer House isn't going to last forever and it's not, I don't own it, but I own Burning in Hell. So Burning in Hell grew with the Summer House growth. Gotcha. And so when you, is Burning in Hell, so you're, you go on the show you have the mm -hmm. podcast, you explain mm -hmm. the the timeline of it. But at this point, are you also like going back to work at Betches? Or are you full time in reality show and building the podcast? So right before Summer House airs, I got fired from Betches. Okay, <laughs> got it. What'd you do? So nothing. But this is this is the job that I love that I thought I was going to do. When you're younger, when you find a job you love, you're like, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to be a CEO. <laughs> but I don't, exactly. But I don't think that they loved that I was going to be on a reality show. Understood. And right, okay. right before, and it, it didn't, it's okay. Even though they love Bravo and they yeah. love talking about it, I guess it was too close to home. And I was very, my ego was very hurt because I was like, I put my heart and soul yeah. into these videos. These yeah. videos are part of me. And then I realized for other doors to open, you have to shut some doors. And that was the universe being like, you've outgrown whatever you've learned in this place, you know? And it's kind of, it's kind of scary though, if you think about this, or at least it's, it's, it's eye opening when you put all this time and you're writing it, right? You're writing these memes, you're doing the work, you're the creative, it's going viral. And then you are gone just like that. 
and I talk about this in a book that I have coming out um, next quarter. It's called The Restart Roadmap. And it's for people that are looking to like rewire and reset their career. And mm. you think about it, like, and it, this is one of the points I bring up in it. We are all, like you talk about LeBron James, right? We are all just like freelance W-2 employees. Like we are free agents. We are never signed to a one, two-year deal. I don't mm-hmm. think you had any equity in in, in uh, no. Betches. And all that IP, that creative IP, they now own. You don't own mm-hmm. any of it. And so it's 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 an eye-opening time when you get fired from your first job. And, and I, I too got was, fired from a because of a reality show. I think entrepreneurs, you are going to get fired from jobs. This yeah. is because I was also starting to be the face of it because sure. I was... I was doing these like Insta stories and I, I also started to decipher Betch's voice from my voice. Mm. I realized my comedy voice is actually a little goofier, takes herself a little less seriously. And, but I was able to write both. And then my, they wouldn't repost like my tweets, Yeah, but other brands were reposting them and it started doing really well. And I was like, Oh, I feel like I have something here that is just me, but I needed them at the beginning. They were my boot camp. They gave me the chance. But looking back, I'm like doing what I'm making now, doing 40 grand a year. (laughs) Right. You're just like, what the hell? (laughs) For what I was giving, it's crazy. But it put um, you, but, but it put you on the right track though, yes, right? I needed it. It, it was they the were, track. I give everything to them with my start. Yeah. But then you get to a point where you realize, but this is the classic, like caller daddy barstool thing. Sure. It's the talent and NCAA and the athletes. The sure. talent is now getting so much leverage with who they are alone that it's not like back then where like universal pictures signs this actress and now they can act. Yeah. We're having this kind of battle yeah. And I, I definitely realized that I'd rather be alone than part of a system that had, you know, ceilings over me. Interesting. And I'm glad you brought up Caller Daddy because I think that's a, that is a good example. And the same thing with NCAA is a good example. And we've had some people come on that have had some like crazy podcasts blow up and be able to monetize it in wild ways. We just had Payne Lindsay on from Up and Vanished. He had a, mm. n- no money in his pocket. He invested $100 into it, no reporting experience, and goes and solves a fucking cold case from the 80s and the <laughs> podcast blows I up. Never, right? like, as a, as a college kid be like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is, this is my be like, okay, you need it. You're crazy. Go see a therapist. Yeah. But I, I also, one of my favorite quotes is the only thing more addicting than heroin is a monthly salary. Yes. A hundred percent. It goes back to that. Like you just said, it's like a holding center. It's like college too. It's the same exact thing. Yes. So when I got fired from Betches, I knew I had summer house and yep. I knew I had burning hell. Burning hell wasn't making enough money that I was like really straight. But I remember I could pay my rent with, I could pay my rent with burning hell. Yeah. And that's what I cared about in the city. That's all I care about in New York city. Um, so what is, what is rent? Three, two, three K a month? Great question. So I had been paying like nothing for rent. I was yeah. living in like these shitty little areas And my dream was to get a studio apartment with my cat. Like that was, (laughs) I've made it in life. The same cat that was walking around? Yeah. Nice. What's what's her name? She's Butter. Butter. Okay. (laughs) So I ended up after Summer House had aired its first season and I've been doing a ton of burning in hell. And I started getting some Instagram partnerships because my following was over a hundred thousand on Instagram at that point, I guess. And I got a $2,400 tiny apartment in Queens, but it was like a nice area and I really liked it. Cool. That's awesome. And so you're making enough off burning hell then to pay for the rent. So about 36, 40 grand off the pot. And, and I'm lucky I had no, I have no debt 
at that point Huge. either because I'm not paying back for college. Now, what about summer? So first season is summer house. Do they pay you? Do they pay you okay? Is it weekly? They, is it a stipend? It's not great. It's episodically and it's it's not great, but it makes sense because they don't want you to just come in and like money grab and leave. Like you have to kind of earn, you get more each season. Yeah. So we, we've talked, about, yeah, because we, I had Dina and we talked about this with The Bachelor. That's kind of the same yeah. idea, right? You go on, you're paid nothing. Then to be the lead, you're paid pretty well, but the opportunities yeah. after that become huge. And then on Paradise, you're paid daily for how long you're there. And your pay is like kind of like, you know, it's kind of determined based on, you know, how bad you're needed and like what kind of momentum you built from your season. And people wonder why people do crazy shit on reality TV. I'm oh, like, let right. me make that money. Exactly. <laughs> and then if you have more, like if you come back, Dean came back again, he was paid even more, right? So oh my God. was it the same? Did You're you battling mean- morals and money all the time. No. <laughs> but I do want to make it clear. I've been on Summer House. I did three seasons of Summer House and my career was growing with it. I never once, never once was Summer House my main income. Okay. So did you, but did you renegotiate Every year each, for each summer season, house? you automatically get a bump. Okay. And it's like a, uh, you can't really negotiate. It's like they tell really. you what it is. Not but, really. And it's how not long based do you on film performance. For? How long is the filming? Um, we would film every weekend for this, for the summer. So let's say like 11 weekends. And then. And, and during the day, you would just go back to normal life? And so the weekends we'd film. And then during the week, we'd film sp- sporadically. But then after that Wild. summer's done filming, then you go in for interviews like all the time, like at least once every once a week or once every two weeks. So the hours you're bas- you're not getting paid a lot hourly at all. Wait, that's math. that's crazy because if you think about yeah, if you break it down hourly, especially a paradise. And then by the time it airs there. and you're doing all the press, and then that finishes, you're filming again. So it's really like a full year. Wait, this is a wild thing you just put in my head. I, does, I don't know that any other reality TV show does this, that you're not stuck in their bubble from start to finish. No. You go in and out of the bubble. Aren't you like talking? Aren't you like talking to well, other that's, people? That's the thing. They, they're like, it's the whole thing, save it for camera. Because something could happen during the week and you you need, either, you need to save it for camera. Yeah, but aren't you going to protect? You, you, what'd you say? Like, like think about Paradise, right? Yeah. If I'm on Paradise and I'm maybe talking to someone and someone else talking to someone and we had a break, wouldn't we just like go have a cup of coffee and be like, okay, let's protect each other. Like, what's the deal? Like, does she like you? Does she like me? Let's not look like idiots. That's why Collusion. it's a mind. That's why it's a complete mind fuck because we're all, we all know that the show's better when we save stuff. Like when we have an authentic, like gotcha. let's say I heard something bad about yeah. someone. If I tell them off camera, but I have, I warned people about like that they're going to get attacked over something a hundred percent. Have I gotten in trouble for saying something off camera that I, I should have waited for a thousand percent. We're not perfect. But then you also have the, like your friend says something shitty to you and they're like, Oh, producers made me wait on camera. And you're like, you son of a bitch. You knew you could have warned me about that. And that's why a lot of fighting on Bravo is not actually about what's going on, but it's about how people are producing it. Wait, that is, I've blown away by this. So you, you're it's saying insane. like there's, there's incentive by cast members to hold what would be on, what would be in real life for the television set because what, you know, you'd get more airtime if you brought it up or, you know, you'd be looked at better. That it's, it's the storylines will be better for the show and the show will do better. Why do you care about the show? Because you want it to get picked up. 
Oh, because it hasn't actually the season we, hasn't been picked Because we are the cast of the show, uh, it doesn't get so turned around as So it's not like it's like much. Bachelor, where you or, or Big Brother, you know and that it, it's oh, going to air. This is the thing. This is the thing. How you guys have a competition. Yeah. Our competition is just making the show as good as possible. Gotcha. So the onus but, is on. If you don't make a good show, it won't get taken. Yes, but we also all still want to like look come out of it looking good. Of course. So, but it means you have to try to make other people look bad sometimes, which can make it just it's such Jason, it's it's so bad for your mental health. I, at first I thought like you guys have a huge advantage, now I'm like, well, this is fucked. This no, is it's way, way worse. It's way more it's the wild wild west. <laughs> I mean, I watched my last season. I don't really want to get into it too detailed, okay, but okay. the storyline they had on me, yeah. I had no idea until I watched it. And were no you surprised idea. that they were able to construct that storyline the way they did? A thousand percent. But that's yeah. what they do in confessionals. That's what the whole second the part whole of the year is. Part is. Okay. To create the story. We won't get yeah. too much into that. We'll stay more, more <laughs> on the business and career stuff. But let me ask you, in a weekend over on, in the, your highest paid season, you're making mm-hmm. less or more than 20 grand? Less. Okay. So that's why I feel like in the like five to 15-ish range. Yes. Yes. So what I think, what I did that is sometimes unique to other reality TV people is that I had this career that I really loved in comedy and, but comedy is so general nowadays. That's like social media content creation. That's my podcast that's going on people's podcasts. For sure. And then it's also stand up. Yeah. So I had those going on. So as Summer House will get more popular, all those other things will get more popular and by the third season, by the time I quit, my podcasts, my two podcasts were making way more money than Summer House was making me. Sure. Um, gotcha. Which I was fortunate for that. Yeah. But that's why I think some people get stuck in reality TV when they're putting all their income in that one thing. And then you have a bad season and someone votes you out or whatever. And you feel very lost or you just have Instagram, which is scary because you who knows what can happen to Instagram tomorrow. Yeah, like the day it flipped off and everyone's like, okay, now what? Um, <laughs> They're like, I'm not a model anymore. Uh, no shit. <laughs> no, but I do think like the dream in these scenarios is you're able to do exactly what you did, right? Use it as an opportunity to gain exposure. With the exposure, build a platform. And with the platform, form, do what you do best, which is what you were doing or carving out before the show, which is this, this whole world of comedy. Um, it gave me a platform to do what I love at an accelerated rate, I would say. And right. I do want to just shout out to Caitlin, um, your fiance. Yeah. I really look up to her and how uh. she's been able to construct her career and use her personality in so many different places. Yeah, she's done it extremely, extremely well. And it reminds me a little bit about kind of what you're doing where, you know, Caitlin has become almost everybody off the franchise becomes somewhat dependent on The Bachelor, no matter what you're doing, right? Even if Mm -hmm. you look at, you know, we just had Nick Vial on. Uh, He has an extremely successful podcast, but right, there's still dependency on the show a little bit. And he admits that. Um, Mm -hmm. To be able to branch off the show and then brand your own thing and do your own thing with or without the show, uh, to become independent from that, it's almost, it's, it's close to impossible. She's done it effectively. And you, with your tours and your podcast, I would say have done the same. It's very scary because people say like, you don't leave Bravo. Mm -hmm. Like it's a fit, like Bravo's, it's like a cult. Like it's a very, like, unlike the bachelor, like people stay on shows for 20 years. Like it's, it's, it makes them who they are. So I really, 
I really was scared when mm-hmm. I left. And even like my fiance was like, look, you're going to go two steps backwards, three steps forward. Like just prepare the next year or two is just backwards for you. But I kind of didn't have that mindset. I lost followers based on like just reality TV people who were like, yeah, we're done with her. Sure. Um, she's not on the show. And I, I, that took a hit. I was like, Oh wow. People didn't like me for me. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you don't want to see updates on my cat butter. <laughs> but then, but then I've, I've collaborated with a lot of other podcasters of women that I want to surround myself with. Like mm-hmm. Alex Cooper is one of my very good friends. Girls got to eat great friends. Um, Nikki Glazer is one of my great friends. And those are the, the that's the mindset of business I want to be around right now, as opposed to like fighting to stay on a reality TV show that is of it's, it's a messy lifestyle that yeah. if I was still single, I would still be in probably, yeah. but I got engaged and I had to kind of change my life a little bit. I'm with a sober 45 year old. I can't do smart house, you know? Right, right. Okay. That, I mean, that <laughs> makes sense. One of the things you mentioned twice now, so you said Cooper and then you said Caller Daddy. And I think I saw on a podcast, you and Paige were on Caller Daddy. And one mm-hmm. of the things you said about the podcast, you guys created the Giggle Squad is that you didn't do it for money. And so that kind of caught my attention because I'm thinking, mm. um, you know, you have you have the one podcast, it's, it's, it's doing pretty well. You have the show, making some money off there. If you weren't doing it for money, what was the thought problem? What was like the career strategy there? <laughs> Great question. You did some fire research. We did some Jason. work. Yes. Wow. I'm impressed. <laughs> um, so during quarantine, Paige and I would be on FaceTime all the time. She's yep. my good friend from the show. And this is also shows like I didn't completely leave Bravo. Paige is connected to Bravo and I'm still connected to Paige. So it's like I'm still in it a little. Yeah. But Every single night for three months, Paige and I went live at 10 p.m. Every night? Every single Monday night through for three Sunday. months. Monday through Sunday. We didn't take a day off. That Occasion- is maybe two insane. or three. Okay, we didn't it was it was insane. It was and my manager was like, hey, like, I don't know if you guys are gonna have enough to talk about. You guys are quarantined, you're not even doing anything. And we were like, no, we will. Cause it was when I say we didn't do it for money, it's that we put the hours together that we just were giving out free content. It's because we literally needed it, Jason. Like we, it was like my stand up at night. Like sure. I would go on at 10 and it grew to, by the time Summer House started to air every Wednesday, we'd get up to 10,000 views huge. on our live. That's, on a and live, not, that's huge. And it's not because we necessarily had insane followings. It's because we were building this really cultivated incredible group of people that were like this is what we have to watch and so many people like were just part of this community we created all these like lingos and it was 10 o'clock and it made us feel connected to people because we were fucking going through it during quarantine so then we had to go film summer house so we had to pause it and during that time we realized look the world is getting back a little bit we can't be doing these lives every night sure. people are going to kill us but like we need to do a podcast and we'll we can do it once a week once the world gets back together and we've been doing it and thankfully we've been making money from it which is awesome but it didn't ever come from a place of like what's a good money grab people like our friendship it was more like we they had a facebook we had facebook groups yeah, emerge where people would review everything that like it became a thing where i was like okay we have this group of people yeah. that we love 
So it was a very organic start. Wow. And did you like, so when you're preparing for these, because I'm thinking I've probably done like eight lives, maybe 10 lives in my entire life. So think about three mm-hmm. months straight every night. And by the way, people listening, lives are terrifying because there is no <laughs> room for error. Like, are you preparing the things you're saying in like little bits or was it just a free for all? Oh, it is a free for fucking all. <laughs> we, we would, so there was structure to it where we'd be like, how's your day going? Then we do this thing called front page news where Paige would like list like five different topics of shit that happened that day, which like wasn't even that much because it's quarantine. Yeah. But, like someone would do something stupid on Instagram. And then we had the people talking to us. So they'd be asking us questions and then we'd have a mental health moment. And then we were we would talk about our personal lives. Like I would be like, I was FaceTiming some football player in Miami and he would like put a heart in it. And I'd be like, ah, and the gigglers <laughs> would like get involved and we talk shit on him. And then I had like Luke, this guy I was talking to on Summer House who would come in. So we were like, it was almost our own reality show, but it was yeah. like people could see us completely raw and unedited. They liked our friendship on a TV show. So with that, now our current podcast, all we do is to keep that same energy. We sure. have a notepad that we share, a note that we share on our MacBooks. Yep. And throughout the week, we'll just write some topics. Gotcha. We stick okay. with the front page news and then we have our topics and catch up on our week. So it's, but it's, you can't, you have to do this with someone you have incredible chemistry with. Yeah. Um, it's, it's literally just our chemistry that keeps it going. Uh-huh. I couldn't tell you what we talked about on our last podcast. <laughs> I love it. It's <laughs> the banter. It's the chemistry. That's it. What about, is, exactly. is that tough though, getting in business with a good friend? Like, do you guys, like, do you, I know we had chicks in the office on and one of the mm-hmm. things that they were kind of like proud about and, and felt comfortable with is that they are each paid like the same amount, the same salary, the same bonus. So there's never this like wondering who's paid more, who's doing more work. How with a friend like that do you negotiate? Do you guys just say we'll split everything down the middle? Yeah. I mean, it's wild because I remember in the beginning we were trying to figure out like, do we go to a network? Do we not? And I had experience in podcasting and we both have agents and managers separate. So that's the hardest thing is honestly, agents and managers (laughs) is for them to all communicate well. Like Paige (laughs) and I'll be on the same page with something, no pun intended. And I do think like we really don't eat, like we have a, a bank where all the money goes yeah. and we don't even look at it. Like it's very, That's <laughs> and incredible. I think I'm like I the finance guy. I'm like, what are you doing with it? It's just sitting oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My brother's losing his fucking mind, but um, <laughs> the money is some, it's like such a plus for us because yeah. we see the brand as like, it's almost like how people do merch and don't make money from it. Like it's just us putting, being able to be out there and be heard. And like in this industry, people wanting to hear you is like the most important thing. And I have this, I have people that like, I have investments and stuff like that, but my only job is to make sure that the the content is quality. And that's where like we put all our efforts in and we, know that organically because we have such a base that it's just naturally going to grow as long as we keep putting out really good content that we love. And that's, I mean, it goes back to your play getting into betches, right? It's just like when you're pursuing the things you're good at, you're interested in, you love, like the money is going to come, but that's not the main reason for what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, You're like, so you're saying don't give a shit about money. Not the point of the podcast. (laughs) No, it is the point. There are so many actual great takeaways from that. Honestly, what about, go go ahead. What are you going to say? Well, I also, I've been told horoscope wise, and I know people know horoscopes, but (laughs) someone always was like money's always around you like you never worry about money but I've talked to this person about like abundance and money manifestation and how like if you're not always worried about money if you're worried about money that's just like negative energy you're throwing around like being scarce and stuff 
if it's either like you don't think about money and you just let it flow or you're like spending money. They say like, it's like there's an abundance that's available for everyone. And that's like good energy to put out. But like making decisions out of fear of money, I feel like is never good with business. Obviously you're going to make decisions because of fear of money, but not to initially don't ever go into something because you're like, I need to pay my bills. This is going to do it. That's not going to be a long-term gain for you. Yeah. This connects. We just had Titus O'Neil on WWE superstar connects exactly to what he said and what his whole point was like, man, like it's, if you're, if you're just trying to chase money and success, that's easy. You're going to event. If you're determined to do it, you'll do it. But my whole life, I never really uh, chased success. He's like, all I chased was like significance. Like, what am I doing that's significant Mm. to me and like the impact and what you're saying, I feel like connects like very much with what he's saying. Um, yeah. For the podcast, so do you guys, like are you with, an, like if anybody's out there thinking about maybe a podcast, and yeah. like the way you guys started organically or they have a message, are you guys with a network? Do you sign with yourselves? Like do you split ad revenue? How do you guys well, manage the podcast? Burning in Hell is completely independent. Cool. I'm with anchor.fm. So okay. they were just acquired, they were acquired by Spotify Sweet. and they're like a hosting platform that gives you ads based on your listens. Okay. So you could have 200 listens on your pod and you'll get, you know, a percentage of it. So it's a good way to start. If you can't like get a sales team to get you ads, start with anchor. So with burning hive anchor, and then I have an independent sales team that gets me ads. Then for Giggly Squad, we're with ACAST. So they're a network that does it. Um, I do the editing myself just because I care about the quality of it more than anything. And people are like, oh, don't you have someone do that for you? And it's like, (laughs) I can and I have, but sometimes I know exactly kind of how I want it to be like rhythm wise and what I know we want to talk about, what we don't. Um, Because my job is to not have anyone be like, like Bravo being like, oh, we don't want you guys to do this anymore or something. Yeah, Um, Because she's still with Bravo. Yeah. So, and and for people, it's so easy in terms of like, get yourself a Zoom H6, get yourself nice microphones and get yourself a way of marketing it. Yeah, I loved it, the, the the fact you just dropped Anchor because people ask often, and we haven't really covered this, like, how do I actually do it? And Anchor, yeah. literally any human right here now listening can go to Anchor and start a podcast. And it, your investment will be like so 250 much. bucks of equipment and stuff, and you're yeah. done. You're good. You upload it, yeah. and then it goes automatically to like eight different podcast places, like Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, and it does all the work for you. Gotcha. Crazy. And you and it's free. You sign no contracts. So I really do own Burning in Hell. That's Um, awesome. But also what Titus was saying reminds me of my stand-up where like when I first started, I started because of Burning in Hell. I was offered to do a live podcast show and my friend was like, do 10 minutes of stand-up up top. And I was writing a ton of tweets and stuff and writing jokes. And I love performing. Clearly, I'm like on reality TV. I'm yeah. not afraid of the camera. <laughs> so it was like, it was never, I never had a plan of being a, a, a stand-up comedian. I had dated one and I was like, that's what he does. <laughs> so I finally did it. And it was my favorite part. And some New York comics were like, if you want to be a respected stand-up comic, you have to start, you say yes to every gig you get. You have to start bombing in basements. You have to do restaurants. You have to do four people on a Monday in a, church, you know? So that's when people are like, holy shit, how are you touring right now? It's like, cause three years ago I was bombing in basements 
Gotcha. That makes so it go your whole career track. It, it does make sense because you're just not afraid to fail and you'll step into anything. And that's what's put you where you are. Do you, oh how many now are you, how many shows are you doing like a year stand up wise? So I'm on a full tour. The way it works is like wow. during the week, like tonight I have a spot at 11 PM okay. in Union Square. And yesterday I had three spots like downtown. So during the week I do 15 minute spots where I work on my material. I'll do different jokes. And then for example, after Thanksgiving, I have four shows in Maryland where I do an hour each show. And my right now my tour is basically booking me in as many places that I can do comedy and kind of testing out the markets to see where I sell out, where I don't, just kind of what my draw is right now. Wow, that is so cool. And is there like, can you make some good money in the comedy space? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go to, there's like guarantees as in like, no matter how much you bring in, we'll give you a couple grand for doing this weekend. Oh, okay, But then gotcha. because I have a real fan base that will show up on like a Tuesday for me, sometimes I'll make more money just doing one night where I don't have like five shows and they're just, I, I sell out for them on a Tuesday. Gosh, so you incentivize by ticket sales too? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So I oh, also, you also have to fucking market yourself as yeah. a standup. You can't just like put your name and like, I, I have to do Facebook ads sure. and I'm, I'm going on podcasts and promoting it, but that's, it's given me after leaving summer house, I've put myself all into this as like my passion. Cause I was missing the creativity and joy, but it's also another thing that like, I'm again, I'm not doing stand up for money. So in five um, years from now, if you're doing stand up, would that be like at a higher, higher level? You keep growing. Is that like a dream? Yeah, I would like to have a special out. I'd like to have like another tour. Cause you're also, once you have a really good hour of material, yeah. you perform it, it goes on air, and then that those jokes are are dead. You have to come up with a no, new hour. No shit. And, exactly. So I I hope to do that. And I do think that with stand-up right now because I'm just focusing on getting better and I'm thinking of the big play yep. of like the Netflix special that yep. I don't care about like if I made two versus $10,000 in one weekend. I'm right. just happy to be getting stage time. And my podcast is really month to month what is paying the bills. Unbelievable. You got it all mapped up, Hannah. I got three last <laughs> questions for you. I think it's just fascinating the way you're doing it and how you're just so focused on brand building. Cause like the money, like the money's going to come. And you also have also other sources of revenue in which you're making a ton of money anyway. So you're yeah. just stacking up yourself and reinvesting in yourself. It's awesome. My three last questions. I, I need you mm -hmm. at one point to prepare some kind of, if you have any kind of money joke, you don't have to tell it now. You can wait till the end. <laughs> so I need some kind of, if there's any tool in the chest of a money joke, we got to hear it. Um, oh my God, and okay. then you, we end every podcast with a trading secret. So yeah. if you could think about your trading secret, I, I'm curious what that will be. And trading I or tra training? No. So the... <laughs> So trade, trade the name of the podcast. So welcome Hannah to trading secrets. <laughs> what we're doing here is we are trading the secrets. <laughs> so like, you know, finance, like you make a trade. So every podcast yeah, it, we it, wrap, it. like someone gives us a little trading secret that people, a thousand, people a thousand could take percent. It. I'm ready. The Sorry, the screen behind you shut off. So then I forgot. Oh yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> little technological trip here. We'll, we'll blame it on the screen. All right. The, so then the other thing I have, which is where we're going to start. So think about the joke and your trading secret, uh, a piece of advice from your whole path that someone couldn't find anywhere else. But the last question I have is stand up comedy is 
insanely challenging, right? Having the stage presence, the timing, the tone, reading the audience. So for anyone listening that has to perform in any type of function of their job, they have to present to someone they care about or they're trying to pitch, what Mm. is a takeaway from stand-up comedy, which is probably the toughest form of engaging an audience and then delivering, could you give as a piece of advice? Great question. I think it's that everyone is human and the best thing you could possibly do is instead of like the whole fake it to your make it, just embrace the moment. Like stand up, I'm never afraid of bombing because if I tell a joke that isn't like, let's say it's a little too dirty and the crowd kind of tightens up, I'll be like, oh, like did every guy in the crowd's butthole just tighten up? Was that too far? And everyone laughs or like you say something and you go, Oh, I forgot it was Sunday. It's the Lord's day. My bad. And you'll get a bigger laugh than the initial joke. And it makes me think about speeches. Like what are you afraid you might stutter on your words, which like I've done before. You're afraid you like blank out. Then be in that moment of truth and be like, I'm sorry. I just blanked out because, you know, whatever reason and be in it. And that is so much more likable and relatable to you than you panicking on stage and pretending it's not happening. So just embrace who you are and realize that there people just being likable and being honest is what's going to make people remember you because they remember how you made them feel, not the things you said. Yes. I like that. Read the audience, react, and just be like, like if you're having a moment, just talk about it and say it because it'll, it'll definitely every, be It'll make everyone smile. Yeah. And not one person in that room is perfect and a robot and has never stuttered over a word. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm just like, my brain goes to weird place. I'm thinking like a game of cards. Like once you deal a handout or you show a card, you have, or you see someone's card, you have more information. Once you say something to a group, you have more information on how they'll react. And then you could kind of guide appropriately. A thousand percent. And what people are afraid of is being embarrassed. But comedy is all about embarrassing yourself. So like when I get embarrassed, I think comedy. Like I literally will stutter over words and be like, oh my God, I forgot how to speak today. And (laughs) everyone will laugh. So it's funny you said I'm not afraid to fail. I actually hate failure so much. And there are parts of my life that I will be very conservative and afraid to do something. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm not afraid to embarrass myself because when I fail, I fucking hate it and I'll fail fast and go on to the next thing. But I think it's that I'm okay with embarrassing myself. Interesting. Because I am, I am like, that's something I'm working on. Like, like being self-aware. I hate, hate, hate embarrassing myself. And I've been working on it like nonstop to just like be more vulnerable about shit. Cause like, who cares? But so that's once a you good, can embrace your goofy and yeah. embrace all those imperfections, everyone it's more relatable. Understands you more. Yeah. Because yeah. well, because guess what? Every fucking person has them, right? Yes. And then what do people have on you if you walk in the room and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah it looks like I'm brushed my hair in four days. Cool. Who cares? <laughs> Got me. <laughs> yeah. Got <exactly>. me. <laughs> all right. Well, we just went over our time limit here. So I know we, we only have you for so much time. So I got two last things. We need a trading secret from you that someone can't learn in a classroom, a textbook or Google. Yes. And then what I need from you is a joke about money. And if you want to pass, you're like, dude, don't put me on the spot. I got nothing. That's fine too. We could edit that out. Mm-hmm. So a joke mm-hmm. about money or trading secret, whatever you want to go first with, let's wrap with that. Okay. Um, for trading secret, I think never have a five-year plan. I think five-year plans are restricting mm. and that instead, like I could have never told someone five years ago that this is where I was going to be, but I literally could never have imagined it could have been 
this like financially like the multitude of things I'm doing it's crazy and if I had said to myself I want to be a sports journalist I would have not been open to so many other things that ended up coming to me. And I think, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you don't know what the technology is going to be. You don't know what the sales strategies are going to be, what the marketing strategies are going to be. Who knew TikTok was going to blow up? Sure. And you're actually so much more dangerous when you are open to anything, but just listening to your gut of what brings you joy and happiness. Cause I'm the kind of person that if it brings me joy, I will work anyone under the table or whatever that quote is. (laughs) But if I'm, if I, it doesn't bring me joy, I will be that person rolling her eyes, making sarcastic comments in the back of the classroom. (laughs) I I love that. All right. We're going to, in the recap guys, stay tuned because we had Rob Deerdick on the guy from MTV Ridiculousness. Oh, I love Rob. Not only does Rob have a quarterly plan, an annual plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan. Hannah, he has a fucking 500 year plan. (laughs) I'm not joking. So in the recap, we're going to debate who's right, Hannah or Rob. Stay tuned to the recap. But before I love it, though, I think you made such good sense of it, though, which may you know what I mean? I like I like what you're saying, because like you said, if you're only stuck on this one blueprint, you'll never Mm -hmm. leave that blueprint. You have no idea where else life could take you. Mm -hmm. As we wrap with you, Hannah, do you have a potential a uh, money joke of any nature. You're the first comedian we have had on. And I don't think anybody's ever told uh, a money joke. And if you don't have one, you can just tell me to shut the fuck up and we could wrap this up. Um, no, I just have a quick comment. And yeah. that is all. Um, I'm just going to say that Benjamin's my zaddy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Bam. Love it. There it is. That's Hannah. And guess what, guys? You could see her live. Hannah, if people want more of you or want to see you on tour, what cities you come into, where can people find your podcast? Give us the whole breakdown of this crazy resume you have that people could find more of. Oh my God. Jason, thank you for laughing at that stupid joke. I I made my life. Um, <laughs> I, you can go to HannahBurner.com. I'm, I'm kind of an easy laugh. Like Kayla always says that too. I think a laugh pumps for tires. So I'm, don't, don't, you, don't feel well, too Kay- good about it. Kaylin has a great sense of humor. So you have to, to yeah, stick, for sure. keep up with her. No doubt. Um, go to HannahBurner.com for tour dates. I'm going to Maryland. I'm going to Connecticut. I'm going to Ohio, going to Boston and more. And then follow me at Being Burns and listen to Giggly Squad for more pop culture, personal stuff and burning in hell for mental health comedy. I love it. Good stuff. Well, Hannah, thank you for sharing your story. I think it's unreal. Pro tennis player, reality star, betches, $300 a week, to, uh, many, many, many more zeros added to your uh, annual paycheck. So congratulations on everything and, uh, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. All right. All the best. Ding, ding, ding in Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. We are closing in the first episode of the podcast with Hannah Burner. What an episode. Electric, hilarious. I mean, I absolutely loved the banter. Not only did I love the banter, I thought there were so many good takeaways from this episode that hopefully you can apply to your career trajectory. David Arduin, the curious Canadian, the one and only is with us. David, what did you think? Think of Hannah, what'd you think of the podcast and what's top of mind after listening? 
first of all, uh, happy New Year's to all our guests. Yes. 2022, 22, my favorite number. It's going to be a good year. It's January 3rd. I hope everyone has still uh, kept their New Year's resolutions two days in. Um, <laughs> so good on you on that. As far as Hannah, she, I've, I'm a, I've watched Summer House. Of course I do. Like I watch way too much of this reality TV stuff. She was so much funnier and so much more relatable on this podcast than what her edits have been on Summer House. So uh, she was hilarious. And, um, you know, she is the essence of what this podcast is about. Yes, it's another reality TV star, but you can't tell me, no matter where you live in this country, that you didn't have at least two or three relatable points in her journey in terms of money she made, decisions she had to make, like the self-hustle, the self-grind, believing yourself, like, all that stuff. I thought it was so good. Yeah, I think her uh, her authenticity and every move she's made and why has been so unique. And I found that people that the people we've been able to speak to, those who stay true to like what they're really interested in and want to do, as opposed to doing things they think they should do, are the ones that always end up coming out smelling like roses, right? Like even I mean, we talked a little bit about this, but the whole betches thing. Like she's like, I wasn't making shit, but that experience was massive. For for me. And so I think, she, and even what she's doing now, like her stand up comedy, she has continued to stay true to herself and what she thinks is right for her as opposed to what she thinks is right for like her, her pocketbook or her career trajectory, because even her not going back on the show, because she knows that could impact her personal relationship is another, I would say probably thoughtful piece to her puzzle. What do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's getting to be like we're almost a year in. We almost fifty-two episodes in. It's such a reoccurring theme with our guests. Like, I'll take it back one guest, like Nick Vial and her, like six figures. She was had us making six figures, living out of uh, out of college, doing cold call sales, living with her parents. And I'm like, <laughs> I could use that at thirty-five years old. Six figures, living with my parents, be able to pay some bills off. Uh, Nick Vial making one hundred fifty k with Salesforce. But at the end of the day, they took risks in doing something that they've loved. Yeah, and look at their trajectory, right? So such just relatable takeaways for that. And yeah, all the power to her because she is clearly like, she's just done it. That's all you can say is like, she's absolutely done it. Done everything cold that she calling wanted. though. Have you ever had to cold call? Um, so I ran the uh, phone-a-thon program, which is like the telemarketing program for our alma mater for three oh, years yeah. when I was doing fundraising while coaching at Geneseo. So a cold calling in a term, yeah, I used to have to get on the phones and, and teach my students how to call alumni and ask for, and parents and ask for money. Um, what an experience. So everyone I think in your life has to cold call, whether you're cold DMing, cold calling, cold going up to someone in a bar, cold asking someone to do anything. You're gonna have to cold call someone. David, what you cold, is your you cold call for the bank? I oh I cold called nonstop. I called cold for the bank. I cold called for uh, ADP when I worked for them. I was I was a cold calling machine. I hate hate it. Hate doing it. Hate doing it. I always like the warm introduction. But what is your takeaway for anyone that is cold calling? I mean I just like what she said. Like you have to ask them questions so they tell you what they need. But my experience with cold calling is like uh, you just got to try and get on their level. Like find a common ground like ask them where they're from, start talking about sports, like some kind of interest. And then, I, I mean, I always like fabricated the truth a little bit, like building rapport with that person, but also just like, oh, like 
I would always tell my callers, like, tell them it's your first call you've ever done, even if you're in it for two years. Because the instant sympathy you get, your college student, like, calling, like, every single person, like, tell them, oh, you're Everyone's my like, first Aw. call. You'd be my first donation. Like, ask, yeah. I, I'm about that. Or, like, Ashley's starting a new job as a travel agent. I'm like, you got to tell them that you've been on that cruise, that you've loved this restaurant. Like, you already know what they offer. Like, the best blackjack dealers ever on this cruise ship. Just got to fabricate a little bit. I mean, think about what people love in life. Like, people love dogs. We love our grandparents, right? We love babies. What are And there's obviously so many reasons we love those. But what do all those things do? They don't provide a threat. They make us comfortable. They give us security. So I think in any cold call situation, whether you're going up to a guy or gal or you're trying to sell something, don't create a threat. Get the guard down. You're not a threat. You're just there to talk about this. It's okay. You, it's okay to tell me no. If you tell me no, I'll go away. There's no threat here. That's so that's a tactic I would give. And another one I would give that's very common is suppose I want to take the conversation down the route of, let's say, David, I'm trying to sell you um, coffee I started. So maybe I'll start like, hey, man, you, you drink coffee in the morning and you could tell like you don't want to. You're like, yeah, 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 but I'm good. And I'm like, well, you know, and you don't want to take the conversation there. A tactic to get David to continue to actually listen to my pitch about coffee would be to talk about something he wants to talk about to distract him. So David is wearing a Bills jersey right now, right? So he doesn't want to talk about my coffee, but let's instantly pivot. Man, that loss yesterday was awful. Now David's going to engage. I can't believe they lost. Well, how dare them lose? And instantly, then I'll bring it back. But you know what? This morning, what was still there for us? A cup of coffee. So like, what do you drink? So those are two tactics that are very, um, you know, use them, try them. Let us know what you guys think. It's also like the magician, like just saying someone's name. Like instantly, yeah, like the name, instantly, like updated. you call them, you hear the name. Okay. Okay. John, let me tell you it's just instantly like that. I think that's really good. Yeah. Another thing that's really good is her podcasts. Okay. Her, her, uh, Have you burning listened? in hell spelled not actually burning, but like her last name burning in hell, you know, fascinating the way that she aligned that you talked about like her dedication on building her brand. Like she didn't really have a big break. Like everything was very like aligned and, and positioned and she made a lot of sacrifices in the timing of everything. But, you know, I looked up her, her podcast a little bit, uh, pretty polarizing in terms of like her reviews and stuff. But one thing that she says is she takes celebrities to talk about their issues, right? We put celebrities on a, on a pedestal. We think that their life is butterflies and rainbows, but she brings them on to talk about like, you know, all the things that they go through. Have you ever been on her podcast? Never been on her podcast. Okay. So if you went on her podcast, knowing what it's about, what is something that you think you would talk about? What is some venting or something that you deal with or you go through that no one ever asks you, maybe, and now you're in a position in her podcast to talk about it? Not to take her away, you away from her podcast, but I'm going to ask you the question. The the venting. Um, hmm. <sighs> I think the nonstop feedback like you're just always getting feedback and it's it's like bad good uh some of it you can control some of it you can't control um some of the other stuff is um just the crossing of the lines of conversations like you'll be out and people will talk about things to you like i'm just like what like why you know where are you going with that the worst is like just being out and about and being um having a video or a picture taken to you that you can't, that doesn't give context to anything, right? Like you could be, and those are things I like, I worry about, right? Like suppose I'm at a bar with the guys 
and I'm literally just ordering. Let's say I'm ordering, right? And the waitress is like putting her head, you know, head down because she can't hear anything. And I'm literally just like ordering my chicken finger salad. And someone takes a picture of that. That can be so taken out of context. And so the constant word, it may be like, I'm over analytical. I worry too much about that. I worry too much about that because it's happened before, right? Yeah. I've, I've had these issues happen. And to me, that's the thing that drives me absolutely insane. Here's a question. I'm going to put these people in four categories and you talk about feedback. Okay. And I'm curious because I'm part of one of the categories. When you get feedback from these four people, what frustrates you the most? Okay. Family, friends, followers, or fiance. It's all four Fs. That's electric. I didn't even plan that out. So when you get feedback from these people, what group of people frustrate you the most? Followers, family, friends, or fiance? One that's very frustrating is family. The one that's frustrating about family is because they have this certain expectation. Oh, my parents are corporate. My, you know, like you gotta be by the book. You can't believe you would act like that. Stop swearing. Stop saying this. It's like live by these guidelines of the rules, the same rules are the ones that put me in the trap of my banking job, which I was miserable. So that feedback gets annoying because a lot of the times that I've stepped outside of the boundaries of what is isn't acceptable, it's actually proved to be very beneficial. So that is annoying. You know, feedback from my fiance could be very constructive or it could just be irritating. Uh, she can give very good constructive feedback. Like, hey, especially with like creativity and business, hey, stop talking like this. Stop saying that. Watch your tone. It sounds like, you know, you're a pitch. Da, 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 da. Like some of it could be pretty good. Some of it could be irritating. Followers, it could be, it's the stuff, if take it with a grain of salt. It's just the real nasty, negative, like fucked up things are just like, go fuck yourself. Like, why? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, are you a human behind that typewriter or that that keyboard, whatever typewriter. it is? Typewriter. <laughs> Who just says typewriter? Like, what? Anyway, I hope no one's trying to communicate you via typewriter. Yeah. And friends is actually, I really appreciate the friends feedback. One, because it gives me an idea of what you're really thinking in time. So it's good perspective. And two, almost all my friends are willing to hear my take to what they're saying. And and, and most times after that conversation, like, oh, I get it. Or I would be like, shit, I didn't think about that. Good point. So the least irritating is my friends. The most irritating is probably my family. That's a, I think that's one of the favorite questions I've ever asked. <laughs> that was good. The FFFF too is pretty good. Um, um, that is all right. Good last stuff. thing I got what for else you. you got? Okay. We spend a lot of time talking about corporate on here and you just mentioned it, right? And, you know, not necessarily just kind of opening people's eyes on like outside of corporate or if they're in corporate, like you get taken advantage of your hundred hour work weeks, your overwork schedule, like, you know, your minimum salaries, like you got to climb the corporate ladder. So they're going to take advantage of there. You know, we talked, you know, Hannah talked about working for Betches. Like they paid her, they want to pay her $36,000. She's working 24 seven around the clock, content, 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 thinking on her feet. Like she's clearly getting taken advantage of there, making content for companies, making more money off of her. No one wants to work in environments like that, but what does everyone want to do? They want to go on reality TV. <laughs> and how much are these reality TV companies paying their talent, their employees? Nothing. So I just, it kind of hit me like, she makes pennies and started at nothing to go on summer house, but she was dying to do it. You know, I just think that these TV companies are taking advantage of their employees more than anybody, more in the corporate, but everyone's dying to do it. I just wanted to shed light on that and give, you know, you a chance to comment on my comment. 
It's an interesting take. I like the take about it. You're saying like the same thing that we bitch about in corporate America about being under this like, you know, their world, their rules, their their race, and we're running in it. You're saying essentially uh, reality TV does the same thing or television in general does and don't even pay their people because there's such a high demand for people to want to be on TV. It's a fair point. I think it's a really fair point. Is that is that essentially the summary of what you're saying? Yeah, I just think it's like The Bachelor who gets 30 people to come on and pays them $0 and they're making absolute like millions upon millions upon millions. It's the risk reward of it though. Like some people end up catapulting their lives. But the interesting podcast would be the amount of people that came off this show or a show and weren't paid for it and their lives just changed drastically for the bad. And that's, that happens a lot. I mean, there's a lot of, even the people that their lives changed in measurable ways for the good, there's a ton of mental distress that comes with these shows and being on TV. And it would be fascinating to do like a little series on the people that have gone, taken the shot, didn't get paid, and it like completely screwed up their professional or personal life. I think about a few weeks ago when Mental Law was on, there was a guy who was getting blasted, rightfully so, because he was kind of like manipulative and gaslighting and condescending, but he's a biotech CEO. I'm like, this has to have an impact on your business. <laughs> uh, or I think about the guy, Ryan, who like came with that script, like the, the, the calculated script and Caitlin's just drilling him on Mental Law, deservingly so. Like, in his community and stuff, like that's got to be pretty bad. Or this guy, Chris, who was the villain last year, like who, again, deserved criticism, but that's got to really mess up a lot of things. Family dynamic, friends dynamic, and professional. I think it comes down to, uh, you know, what everyone keeps saying, what Hannah did, did like you got to bet on yourself. Whether you're going in the corporate grind and you want to climb the ladder, so be it, bet on yourself. Like whether you're going to move to a big city and take a $40,000 job and cold call and do commissions, like you got to bet on yourself. If you're going on TV, own it, bet on yourself. That's all I got. All my takeaways is and action items is uh, her and Paige doing the uh, 10 p.m. Uh, lives on quarantine. Um, you know, I feel like we're already waking up at 2 a.m., uh, together to pay our bet to Risha uh, for the Bills Patriots game, uh, having to send a selfie at 2 a.m. as punishment. So maybe we need to get on a live together and start doing something electric. Yeah, uh, for, during those for times. Consistency sells. Bet on yourself. For anyone that doesn't know, David and I lost a bet to a friend, and the repercussions of the bet is that 2 a.m. every day we have to send him a selfie. Yes, that requires an alarm, waking up and going back to sleep, psychological warfare. But David. Thank you again for being here. It's early. It's only January 3rd, but I'm going to give you till next week, January 10th, and I want to know all of your New Year's resolutions. So next week, I got prepared. some. Love it. All right. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Trading Secrets. One you can't afford to miss. <laughs> <laughs>